Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast, critical discussions in critical times. Here's your host, Bill Kelly. Welcome. This is the Bill Kelly Podcast, critical discussions for our critical times. I'm your host, Bill Kelly. Good to have you with us today, early into 2024. Uh, and as we look forward to what this year might bring, uh, I think one of the questions we need to ask right now is what is Canada's role on the global scene? Because there's been a lot of questions about that over the last number of months. And how do we face some of the crises uh, that are ongoing right now? And what's Canada's role and Canada's reaction going to be to that in places like the Middle East, Ukraine, and other places? And to do that, we are pleased to welcome back our good friend Phil Gursky. Phil is the president of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting. He is an ex-analyst for CSIS and a specialist in terrorism and intelligence, uh, author of six books, by the way, uh, on terrorism, which are all great reads, by the way. Phil, Happy New Year. Good to have you with us again today. Happy year, New Year to you as well, Mr. Kelly, and thanks for having me get again on the podcast. I guess it's the fact that it's my, I guess it's my third time. It's probably a good sign, or else you're running out of guests. I'm not sure which one. No, 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 no. You're one of our favorites. You were <laughs> when we were doing the radio show, and it's always great to get you on here to talk about this stuff because of your expertise and, and your perspective on these things. So i got to start our conversation off with uh, uh, maybe a far-reaching question, but I think it's something that I think needs to be addressed uh, and and people can take it for whatever it's worth, or if it's a condemnation of, of the government's reaction in the past or whatever. It's 2024. Uh, we've got a, a powder keg in the Middle East. There's already a war going on, which could just blow up. I mean, before we even air this podcast, I mean, it's it could well get worse because of what's going on. Uh, we've got other things going on in Afghanistan. Yes, Afghanistan is still an issue. ISIS, uh, the Taliban, we can go into all. Is Canada going to take this seriously this year? I hope so. Um, I, you know, Bill, I, I always try to be optimist. Uh, I think it's a better way of going through life than being a pessimist. But I'm hearing more and more, and, and not just from my own sources, but public sources. And you raised it, I think, in your introductory remarks. Uh, I don't think we're being taken seriously anymore. Perrin Beatty, uh, former MP, yeah. uh, head of the Canadian Chamber of Commerce, has said we're becoming irrelevant. Uh, several ex-defense officials have said that Canada is becoming uh, like almost a, a, like the B team or maybe even the C team. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, you know, we here in Canada are, are very fortunate that we have a, a neighbor to the south of us who is not going to let anything bad happen because it, we're all in the same neighborhood. And I kind of think sometimes we've, we've tended to rely too much on the Americans when it comes to our defense. I mean, they're the ones basically with all the, you know, the ICBMs in case nuclear war breaks out. Uh, they're the ones with all the intelligence apparatus around the world. And it's almost like we've fallen asleep. And so it's not, it's not just this government. This government's been pretty bad, I must say. But it just seems that we don't think that there's a role to play. And, you know, you, you know, I wasn't born during the Second World War, but I'm pretty sure you weren't either. No, but no. You, you look back to that time, and Canada was a major player. Fourth largest Navy in the world at the end of the Second World War. Our troops on D-Day, et cetera, et cetera. That's all gone by the wayside. And I don't think that any government now gives a rat's ass. And, and you know, someone, someone has explained to me this to me on several occasions. Politicians care about what gets votes. So if Canadians don't care about national security, if Canadians don't care about what's happening in Gaza or in Ukraine or in Afghanistan or in Iraq and Syria, as you mentioned in your opening remarks, politicians don't care because it's not going to get you a vote in Hamilton or in Ottawa or in Regina. Mm -hmm. And as a consequence, it doesn't make it on the agenda of priorities for the government of the day. And I know the argument's going to be all about money and priorities, et cetera. But, you know, I, you try to read the tea leaves here. And, and there was a lot of concern about, for instance, Canada's military. And uh, and there was a cabinet shuffle uh, at one point, I guess about halfway through the year. And Anita Anand became the defense minister uh, because the, the other person was screwing it up royally. 
she made a few statements about, yeah, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, uh, we're going to look into this, we're actually going to read those reports uh, about what's going on in the military, and we're going to make some huge commitments militarily and with equipment, not just with goodwill. Right. Uh, she got booted out of that position within months, which clearly tells me that in the prime minister's office, they're saying, we don't want that attitude. That's not the storyline here. Uh, which really makes me and I think a lot of other Canadians question about the commitment here. I mean, there's a lot of shit going on here, Phil. I mean, yeah. you know, we, we've talked about what's going on in the Middle East and it's scary. And, and the, the concern right now is that this just might explode and start mm -hmm. becoming a war between Iraq, uh, Iran rather, and their allies. And, and that's a, a much bigger picture. And the United States may or may not have to get involved in this. Uh, and, and then, of course, we haven't even talked uh, for the last couple of weeks about what's going on in, in the South Pacific. And yeah. China, yeah. because they're watching this whole thing in Afghanistan. Uh, a lot of people in America and in Canada, as a matter of fact, depending on your political stripe, seem to have forgotten about the the, the Ukraine situation and mm -hmm. said, ah, you know, as as Paul have said, that's a country a long way away. Why should we be yeah. concerned? God help us if we ever adopt that as policy. But with all that stuff going on, the concern here right now is this is a situation that's really, really cr critical that could get an awful lot worse. Yeah. And I'm not suggesting Canada is going to have the, the hammer to say we can decide how this is going to end, but we've got to be a player here more than we have been. We do. Uh, there are a lot of moving pieces. And, you know, in some ways, Bill, I, I can feel for the government. COVID really kicked the shit out of the federal budget. We yeah. all saw what happened to our economy. We had the, the, the buyouts and the payouts, et cetera. We are not, we're not in good fiscal uh, shape for a whole bunch of reasons. But you either pay now or you pay later. And, and I think you've raised some really good points is that, you know, if we don't bolster our military, if we don't uh, increase the equipment they have, if we don't, you know, get recruits into the military, there's so many players out, out there right now who mean to do us harm. And you and I have talked about this a lot in the past. Mm -hmm. It's not just Russia. It's China. It's North Korea. It's Iran. We have allegations of India, you know, assassinating dissidents on our soil. And as you mentioned, the Middle East, um, I'm seeing some very worrying signs. I mean, Israel just took out a top Hezbollah leader in southern Lebanon last night. And I'm not saying Israel shouldn't do that. They have every right to do so. Hezbollah is a terrorist organization that launches missiles into northern Israel. But this is just, this is a fuse that's getting brighter and brighter all the time. You mentioned, you know, obviously these are Iranian allies. I just read a stat, Bill, which really didn't surprise me, but did surprise me in a sense. According to the United Nations, ISIS. Remember ISIS, the ones that were supposed to be defeated oh, back yeah. in 2019? Yeah. Guess how many terrorists are still part of ISIS? In Iraq and Syria alone, between five and 8,000. Between five thousand and eight thousand members of ISIS are still active in Iraq and Syria. That I'm sure include... you've seen this story. I saw this in the, I forget which one of the newswires it was just over the this past weekend. Uh, about a whole bunch of them just graduated from terrorist school. That's essentially yeah. what it is. That's not what they call it, but it's a terrorist school. And, exactly. and there were like hundreds and hundreds of them. This is the graduating class. I mean, how sick is that? But that tells me that this is still a clear and present danger. And not too many people are talking about that. It's happening right under our noses, and it's happening in in, in some ways. And, and you know, so that's just ISIS in Iraq and Syria. You have a West African province in Nigeria. It's threatening to move into parts of West Africa like Ghana and Senegal and Cote d'Ivoire and Benin and Togo. You have uh, affiliate in Mozambique that carries out attacks on a weekly basis. You have an affiliate in the Congo that kills people. You have an affiliate in Afghanistan. ISIS just claimed an attack on in Iran last week that killed between 100 and 200 people and wounded 200 people. Now, you guys say, well, it's Iran who gives a rat's ass, right? But here you have Islamic State going right into Iran itself and carrying on a suicide bomb that took, you know, 100 and some odd people. And and we 
stupidly drew the conclusion that ISIS was yesterday's problem. You know, we got rid of al-Baghdadi, the, the so-called caliphate was defeated back in 2019. Let's move on to something like else, like, you know, violent incels or the far right or neo-Nazis or neo-fascists, whatever. And yet on a daily basis, and you can, you can extrapolate the data from there, Islamist extremists like ISIS and their affiliates and like al-Qaeda and their affiliates like al-Shabaab, et cetera, et cetera, are still carrying out the vast majority of attacks. The Swedish Security Service, which is the kind of equivalent of, it's called SEPO, it's equivalent of CSIS in their country, just stated publicly that the terrorism threat level in Sweden will remain high for the foreseeable future. Sweden! And it's not from, you know, uh, you know, blonde, blue-eyed Nordic fascists. It's from Islamist extremists in Sweden. And who would have said that a couple of years ago? So, yeah, there's a lot happening. And I'm, I'm, I'm really fearful that this particular government, uh, that doesn't seem to care, doesn't have the resources to devote to it, or just doesn't doesn't get what's going on. The other element to this too, and we've talked about defense spending, and 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 that's been a sore point. And and you're you're absolutely right. It's not just this past, this government. It's it's been past governments too. They've always just really kind of give it you know past you know a little thumbs up there. Yeah, okay. Uh, made promises and budget speeches that really oftentimes never even get delivered. But that, that aside for a second, as, as you've talked to us about Phil in, in the past. As we go into 2024, uh, it's not about boots on the ground. It's what's going on in the cyber world. I mean, wars are being fought now in the cyber world. Uh, and and if there's one thing we've learned over the last two years here in this country, first of all, we didn't seem to acknowledge that it was going on. And we certainly were not prepared for it uh, with the attacks that we had from, from China, uh, with people that were infiltrating our universities, our our, our science uh, institutions, uh, mm-hmm. and not doing much about it from a, a political standpoint, uh, much to the chagrin of other people in the Five Eyes, our partners mm-hmm. in the UK, the United States, and, and Australia, uh, who are very concerned about the fact that there's stuff going on here uh, that we don't seem to pay much attention to, and we're not reacting to in a strong enough way. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit about what the Canadian government should be doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's, that, I know that's right into your wheelhouse with the work you did at CSIS for many, many years. Uh, but that's what it is. I mean, you know, the experts like yourself and others globally have told us over the last little year that the, that the next global conflict is going to be fought in, in cyber world. Yeah. I mean, that's where they get win and lost. This is how you defeat people. This is how you weaken your enemies. And uh, and I know that some people in the Americas don't even believe that now. And that's yeah. pretty scary because of the political environment there. What do we do? I mean, we seem vulnerable right now. Well, it's a good news, bad news story, Bill. Um, you're right that governments don't care, but the, the good news side of this is that we do have intelligence services like CSIS that have been warning the government for going on 20 years now about China's interference in our affairs, whether it's harassment of dissidents like Uyghurs or Tibetans or people from Hong Kong. Uh, we looked at the election interference. You guys, you and I talked about many times on the, on, the, on the radio about how they, you know, tried to essentially um, influence our elections um, in, in both 2019 and 2021. And continue to do. And continue to do the police stations, et cetera, et cetera. And on the other side, on the whole cyber side, we have a, another very, very professional organization called Communication Security Establishment, or CSE, where I actually worked for 17 and a half years before I joined CSIS in 2001. And they, they're, they're doing an incredible job. There was a, an article in the Globe and Mail about a month ago. Even the Brits say that CSE is world class, one of the best in the world at detecting cyber attacks. So you, the intelligence agencies do, are doing their job, Bill. They are collecting the intelligence, they're assessing it, they're making sure they can corroborate from multiple sources, make sure it's accurate. They are passing it up the line. The problem is, 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 is one of twofold, the way I see it. 
Either there's minions in the middle who simply don't pass it up further up the line to ministers and the prime minister, or the ministers and prime minister don't give a shit and don't take the time to read it because, as I said, they don't think it's worth it or there, there are other priorities or, you know, this doesn't win me a riding in eastern Toronto if I read my intelligence. I mean, Bill Blair, for God's sakes, Bill. Bill Blair, former head of, of Toronto police, didn't bother to read intelligence on Chinese interference in the elections. Here's a guy who you would think, as an ex-police officer, would get the value of intelligence. He couldn't bother to look into his inbox to see what CSIS was sending him. So, you know, intelligence services can only go so far. You can, you, it's the old saying, right? You can bring a horse to water, but if he doesn't want to drink or, or someone prevents him from getting to the water trough in the first place, your intelligence agencies can't do anything more. They, you, 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 they collect this stuff, they give it up on a silver platter, and if it's ignored, they've done their job. And you shouldn't be blaming them for intelligence failures when the politicians don't bother to listen to it uh, when, when push comes to shove. Okay, well, let's throw some salt on those wounds because I, I, we need to do this. Now, then, now there's got to be there's got to be some some light shed on this, Phil. Uh, and we saw that last year during the investigation into Chinese interference. There was a, a parliamentary investigation, and you can talk about it being a dog and pony show if you like. But the fact is, is that some people uh, were asked to testify in front of this committee, uh, and to the to the point that many Canadians were feeling, and and the 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 vibe that a lot of folks had is, boy, our, our intelligence this country sucks. All this stuff's going on, and we weren't doing anything about it. Then the head of CSIS, the head of the RCMP, and others after they said, yeah, we told them. I can show you the reports and I can show you who we gave to. So there was a roadblock someplace in the prime minister's office or someplace else. Same situation. God help us with this, the terrible situation that happened in Gaza that started this latest conflict. Uh, you know, oh, the, the Israeli intelligence is supposed to be the best in the world. How could they have blown this? What's the matter with these guys? They did. They knew. They told the government and the government ignored it. Yeah. Uh, so, I, you know, people are doing their jobs. The disconnect here seems to be at the political level. You're absolutely right. And, you know, I'm glad you mentioned Israel, Bill, because I think we all look upon the Israelis as having a, a really world-class intelligence service for the simple reason, because they have to. Look, Israel's sure. been threatened since the very day it was created back in 19, Since 1948, yeah. I mean, you know, they, they can't afford to, you know, rest on their laurels or take a weekend off kind of thing. But because of some moves by the Netanyahu government, um, the very right-wing government, um, saw Hamas, played Hamas off against the PLO for, for many, many years. And as you're right, the, the Shin Bet, which is the equivalent of CSIS in, in Israel, as well as the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, was producing intelligence. And yeah, at some higher level, people dismissed it. Oh, you guys are playing yesterday's war. You know, Hamas isn't important anymore. I come across the same argument here in Canada, Bill, when I keep hammering about Islamist terrorists or jihadis. And, oh, you're living in the past, Gersky. That's because you used to work at CSIS and it was important. It's not important anymore. It's not about ISIS anymore. It's about incels and it's about the Proud Boys and it's about the three percenters and it's about, you know, fill in the blank, some kind of wanker white, white ring move movement. And I keep saying, well, if you've got data that shows that, I'd love to see it because I'm not seeing the same data. So you do have this problem that people don't understand intelligence. And it comes down here in Canada, something which is going to take a long time to fix. We don't have an intelligence culture. Our politicians don't, they don't care about intelligence. They don't pay for it. They don't think it's important. They ignore it. They go on to other things. Whereas, like I said, in countries like Israel, the Hamas attack notwithstanding, and in the United States and Britain, Australia, et cetera, they do have an intelligence culture where intelligence matters. I don't know how you invent an intelligence culture, Bill. I think we had one during the Second World War. But that's 75, 80 years ago now. And you just can't, you can't create these things in a weekend. I don't have an easy answer to your question. We got to start somewhere, though. 
Well, I mean, the cynical me, and which is still alive and well, by the way, <laughs> uh, would answer that the short answer to that is politicians only care about what's going to happen tomorrow. They don't yeah. care about four or five years from now. Uh, you know, they want a photo op, et cetera. And that may sound cynical, but I mean, that's the reality of it, which is why they don't spend money on defense, which is why they don't spend money on, on intelligence uh, in this country. And they, frankly, in the United States, too. Not We think of them as this huge war machine. Uh, but there are those who are simply saying, no, we should be spending money on other things instead of the, our defense. And, and you know, Putin's listening. Uh, yeah, and, and, and those, you mentioned the elements from, from India that are listening at the same time. They're killing each other on our soil. Yeah. Uh, yes, they're a threat to us. I mean, we can still recall the Air India bombing. But now they're, they're looking at us as this is the playing field for them to carry out their assassinations, et cetera, on the people that are enemies to their cause back in the homeland. Uh, how it, it just seems to a lot of people, Phil, as if we seem to be turning a blind eye to this and saying, well, that's a one-off. It, it's not a one-off anymore. There's, there's a pattern developing here. There is. Uh, you're absolutely right that politicians only look, you know, one, one week forward in their calendar as to what really matters. And yet, do you think Putin's going to stop at Ukraine? No, the Baltic states, Estonia, Lithuania, Latvia are very, very worried that one of his plans is to eventually reintegrate the Baltic states into the former Soviet Union. Yeah, yeah. Romania worries about Moldova, the separatist republic on its eastern border. You think China's going to stop after they take over Taiwan? No, they're going to they're going to um, assert their uh, their dominance in the South China Sea with a so-called nine dash line. They, they see it as the, as their backyard lake as opposed to an international maritime corridor. You think that India, you know, is, is going to stop doing what it does? No. You have a Hindu nationalist governor under Modi that, you know, is, is killing people in India on a daily basis, especially Hindus and or, uh, Muslims and Christians whom, whom they don't want. Now, I, I, you know, I'm not going to say we're going to have a, you know, World War III is going to break out, but there are a lot of players right now. And, and you know, the worst part, Bill, is they're all allied. I mean, Russia and China are, a bit, are bosom buddies kind of thing. Iran supplying drones to Russia to use in Ukraine. That's where they're getting them from. India is a bit sitting on the fence now between being a partner of the West and a partner of uh, of Russia. Then there's Turkey, a member of NATO. Uh, the lead, leader of Turkey, President Erdogan, is a complete idiot. And, he, you know, he's he's basically, in many ways, a Russia supporter. So I think we are falling asleep at the switch. And I don't know what it takes for people to wake up. You hope it's not going to be something dire, like in a major attack. Uh, whether it's an invasion of Ukraine. But then again, look at Putin went into Ukraine first in 2014 and then repeated his act in 2022. What did we do for eight years in between? We kept buying Russian gas and we kept, you know, cozying up to Russia as a potential ally. So I don't know, Bill, I, I think people have to read their history and realize that rarely did countries really change. I mean, lepers don't change their spots is the old saying, but, you know, Putin's former KGB, what does he want to do? He wants to re, you know, re-glorify Russia as the as the former Soviet Union. So he's not going to stop anytime soon. Well, I think by the way, he's supposed to. There's an election in Russia, I think, coming up. Guess who's going to win? Duh. Yeah. So he's going to be in power Flip indefinitely. Sure. Indefinitely, Xi Jinping will be in power indefinitely in China. Um, President Modi is going to win another election in India this year as well. So. There are a lot of really important actors on the world stage that are not friends of Canada, not friends of, of the Western alliance, including NATO. And there has to be someone that's watching this and saying, what are we going to do? Instead of bickering amongst ourselves, can't we get together like we did in the, in the Second World War? Let's face it, right? The Americans don't want to go in the Second World War. They only went in because of Pearl Harbor. And yet when push came to shove and, they, and their security was threatened, they said, yeah, let's pony up. And then we eventually defeated Nazi Germany and Imperial Japan. I just hope it doesn't take that kind of event to make us... Think along the same lines again.
Well, and that's that's the concern I think we've had for a, a long, long time right now is the governments, not just the Canadian government, others are, are, are reactive as opposed to proactive when it comes to these threats. You know, we wait until there's a 9-11. Uh, we wait until uh, there's there's an Air India. And then we said, oh, God, that's awful. We should do an investigation. Uh, let's get a parliamentary committee together to do something about that. Uh, and, and I get the political reality. You know, money is money. Uh, but, you know, when you get a government that simply says, for instance, as, as, as this one did last year, uh, you know, OK, we want to try to do what we can for Canadians here. There's going to be an across the board decrease in government spending. Every department has to, you know, reduce X. You can't do you can't run a company like that. You certainly can't run a business like that. You might say, OK, this department, this department, something like national defense. Uh, that is so important, or housing, I mean, you want to take it back to a, a local level, you can't arbitrarily say cut that uh, because you don't know the consequences. And how many times have we seen, not just with this government, but just about every government now in, in the G7, say, we're going to do this, and oh my God, we didn't see that coming. We, who knew no, that was a consequence? Uh, you know, th there's got to be a lot more thought put into this. There seems to be this obsession with equity and equality. So if we're going to cut the budget across government departments, every department has to be cut by the same. Otherwise, it's not fair. Well, guess what, Bill? Life's not fair. And it's called national defense for a reason, right? This is the defense of our nation. And given the threats we've been talking about, you can't afford not to, to fund it. You know, the prime minister almost boasted that he would meet the 2% NATO floor for, for defense spending. And, you know, Poland has raised theirs to 3% because they know that you know, Putin is right across the border. Whether it's through Belarus or whatever, they can't afford to you know sit on their laurels and you know push this this uh, this priority down the road. But again, we 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 here in Canada think to do that. And you think you look at the the money that's being spent on certain things. You think is that really a priority right now? I mean, you know, renaming streets in Toronto. Now this is a different level. I don't want. I'm not trying to equate that with national defense spending. But you know, people throw money at things that really don't matter. And and it's almost like. You know, you, you and I both remember, Bill, when the wall fell and when the Soviet Union dissolved in the early 90s. We all kind of celebrated, right? We won the Cold War. Uh, democracy was seen as a superior government then than communism. We showed after 50 years that, you know what, the, the true um, way of, of running things came out on top. And so we can move on kind of thing. Thousand points of light, said President Bush, blah, 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 yeah, blah. Yeah. These guys never went away. They just kind of, you know, went into the background a little bit until they rebuilt themselves, and they're and they're presenting every bit of a threat right now as they did for the the the, the, the majority of the Cold War. But most people don't don't learn from their history. I mean, if you ask the average person, I, I saw a stat bill the other day in the states, and it was like they asked a bunch of young people about Osama bin Laden, and something like a quarter thought he was a pretty good guy. And I'm thinking, um. How can that be in 2023, 2024, a generation after 9-11, that people forget what happened in, on that, you know, in New York and Washington, and now think that bin Laden has somehow been misjudged by history? How have we got to that point? Because we've forgotten our history, and, and we're not teaching it properly. That's the problem. In that same survey, I read that over the weekend, too. Uh, an alarmingly high number of people didn't even know who Osama bin Laden was. <laughs> uh, and, and these people vote. You know, these are the ones that are yeah. going to be voting. And 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 if you think, oh, look, at you know, this is not fear-mongering. I mean, we're talking about the realities that are going on. But what concerns me and what concerns, should concern an awful lot of people is when you look at the political landscape here, even here in North America, 
you got a guy running for president uh, that wants to get back into that office who's, you know, Putin's best friend. I mean, he's yeah. going to kiss his ass. What's that going to do to Putin's long-term plan to take over most of Eastern Europe again? You think Trump's going to stand up and do something about that? No. you got an opposition leader who wants to be prime minister in this country that he, he sexually says that kind of spending is totally useless. We're not going to do that. We're, we're, we're not going to do it. He wants to get off the international stage altogether. Yeah. Uh, and, and what's that going to do? Now, Canada, you know, Canada's participation may or may not have much of an impact into this. But if you start electing leaders who don't care what's going on on the global scene, you're basically giving a, a free card to Putin, uh, to, to so many other people, to Xi in China and others, yeah. and Modi in India, to do what the hell they want, whenever they want, and, and know that, you know, look at they, they, there might be a little bit you know, of a conversation and somebody might try to slap our wrist at the United Nations, uh, you know, in, 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 but it's not going to happen. We can do what we want. Is that is that really the circumstance and the environment we want to create here? You know, people might think the world's really, really big, but it really isn't. And policies, policies like isolationism, which the Roosevelt government used in the 1930s, you remember that during the Depression, they wanted to sort of get out of world affairs. They'd been through World War One, the slaughter of the, you know, the, the mud of Flanders and, and, and Belgium and France. And they don't want to get involved in, you know, European empire games and shenanigans again. But what did, what did isolationism do for the United States? Well, it, yeah, they, they didn't enter the war for, you know, almost two and a half years after it started. So, you know, I started in August of 39. They didn't go, enter until December of, two, of, of 41. But at the end of the day, they couldn't they couldn't ignore it. So you may think you can build a wall around yourself. And you talk about Donald Trump. You know, we're going to erect trade barriers and we're not going to, you know, worry about what happened. We're not going to spend money in Ukraine. Where's Ukraine? Where's Ukraine? I can't find it on the map. It's not important to me. But Ukraine is just one element in a much larger picture. And maybe it's just, I mean, we humans, Bill, like to fight, we like to kill, we like to go to war. That's just part of our species. I mean, for good or for bad or whatever, it's the way it is. And pretending it's not there is not a strategy. So, yes, it's going to take money and yes, it's going to take sacrifice. And I remember the stories from my parents about what was like living during the war, Second World War, with, you know, with rationing in effect and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And how the industries were changed overnight to, you know, from making baby bottles to making tanks and aircraft parts, stuff like that. I hope we don't get to that need to get to that point. But, you know, we, we've outsourced a lot of our industry to China. That's been a, that was a mistake from day one. A. Uh, and, you know, it may just uh, force us to start taking a look at what we need to do to be better prepared, because you may ignore the world, Bill, but the world's not ignoring you. And yeah, we're next to the state. So that's a good thing. But if we don't keep pulling up our socks, you know, I saw that Canada wanted to be part of the um, the maritime mission in the Red Sea. You may remember the Houthis, which are a Yemeni group supported by Iran, have been attacking tankers in the Red Sea. It's a major maritime route to the Suez Canal. And Canada wanted to be part of that. So what did we do, Bill? Did we send a ship? No, we sent three staff officers. Why didn't we send a ship, Bill? Because we don't have any ships to send. The country with the fourth largest navy at the end of World War II didn't have a ship to send to uh, stop piracy and terrorist attacks in the Red Sea. That kind of sums things up, doesn't it? It's it's a frightening thing. And I know that people are going to say, man, my God, I'm really you know concerned about what's going on. Well, you should be. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and and unless we start talking about this or continue to talk about this, uh, I think there's going to be real concern about where we're going to end up in situations like this. I, I know that, you know, it's, it, it can sound like we're overstating when we say this is going to be a very pivotal year. Oh, you know, yeah. They, like, it's like, oh, yeah, this is going to be the most important election in our history. This is going to be the most important thing. And, oh, yeah. Well, not in the greater scheme of things, is it? I think this is going to be a pivotal year because we've already seen some stuff that's gone in motion. What's happening in the Middle East? 
Uh, how are we going to respond to that? Uh, what's going to happen in Ukraine? I mean, you know, when when you've got people in the Republican Party and, and people like Pierre Polyev in this country that are saying Ukraine doesn't really matter to us anymore, yeah. uh, you're basically telling Putin, go ahead, kick the <laughs> shit out of them, uh, which is going to scare the hell out of people like, well, Poland, and as you say, other countries. It's not just the former members. It's not just Crimea and others. He's looking at Eastern Europe all over again. Uh, and he's got allies there already. Is that the kind of world that we want these days? Um, and, and I understand Canada's position. They're saying, look, it, we can't turn around and, and get 10,000 more soldiers. You know, we can't recruit that many in this country. But OK, but you can get them behind computers. You can train them yeah. and we can we can put the fortification there where it really belongs, uh, because that's where the war is being fought. That's where Putin's fighting his war. We can talk about the boots on the ground in Ukraine right now, but it's it's the it's the it's the misinformation, the stuff that they're doing on the internet and in the uh, in the cyber world right now that China's doing that others are doing uh, that's, that's that's having an impact on an everyday life in our country, in the states, in the UK, and every place else. Yet we don't hear a whole lot of leaders in those countries talking about it. There's actually I'm glad you mentioned the cyber part, Bill, because there's actually a really good program called Coding for Vets. And it's a program. I was part of it when I was at University of Ottawa. If anybody's interested, they can email me. I can, I can put them in touch with the person. This is programs that actually teach former members of the Canadian military coding skills so they can be used for these types of things. So you have people with military experience. They're going to learn computer coding skills to, do, you know, to fend against cyber attacks. And we're necessarily against in, in, you know, offensive cyber attacks against our enemies because you just can't play defense all the time, right? I mean, that's not the way it works. You can't be on the penalty kill all the time. You have to go on the power play some of that. You go Canadian metaphor, right? Yeah. And 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 I think that you know, we need. You're right. We don't want a fear monger, but when 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 Nazi Germany moved into into the Sudetenland in 1938, you remember what then you know Neville Chamberlain said? Came back to Milena, peace in our time. The Nazis will be will be happy with taking over part of the Czech Republic. They've got what they want. You know, we can all wash our hands and go and have tea and crumpets again. Well, that until they invaded Poland and then they invaded France and then they invaded and it was going on and on and on. And it seems to me that a lot of people, again, I, I really blame in some way. I don't want to say our education system per se, but we just don't we don't learn from the lessons of the past. And, and you know, the old phrase, those who, who forget their history are condemned to repeat it. We don't want to be make, making dire predictions about world wars. We, we did that during the Cold War and that didn't really get us anywhere. But if you don't look at what's happening and take it seriously, then uh, you can't say that you're, you know, you can't say, well, I was surprised at what happened. Like the Israelis about Hamas. Hamas planned that attack for years in southern Israel. And you can't say, oh, wait, Hamas is still around? We thought they were, you know, an extinct group. No, you can't, you can't look at things that way. So you have to have people in your military, in your intelligence services, in law enforcement that are sort of standing on guard for the, they're the front line. They're the people that need the resources and the money to keep us safe to provide intelligence and information so that we can make good decisions and that the politicians actually listen to the, that information before they make decisions rather than than only paying attention to purely political concerns. And, and I think on that note, I think that's the best time to finish this off. It's only going to be as good as, as the people who receive that information and how they yeah. respond to it. Uh, because as I say, with two of the major things that we've just talked about in the Middle East and and you know the, some of the stuff that's going on with Chinese interference, uh, CSIS and, and other uh, intelligence agencies, they did their job yep. and continue to do their job. Yep. But if it falls on deaf ears or if it gets shoved in the bottom of somebody's drawer without yep. any action on it, uh, bad on them. But I mean, you and I and the rest of the people in this country and other countries are the ones that are going to pay the price for that. Yeah. We, 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 you know what? 
We should expect and demand more of our politicians. And when they make mistakes like this by failing to take warnings seriously and, and make good decisions, they should be held to account. And the way you do that in a democracy is you vote you, you vote the bums out of office and you vote a new group in and see how if they're going to do any better. And I, I'm with you. I'm not so certain that the new crew will do any better. But um, clearly, this 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 bunch we have in currently is well past its best before date. And we got to try something new and see. And hopefully, fingers crossed, being you know, the, the, the uh, glass half empty kind of guy, hopefully the next crew will get things uh, more right and take things more seriously. Well, and I'm skeptical about that, too, because of some of Paul Yev's comments. And, and the political reality these days, not just in Canada, but in, in a lot of other countries, is uh, you sing from the same song sheet as your leader. And if they don't yeah. think it's important, then that's what you have to say. Exactly. Well, the only guy who who I think breaks that mold is, is Michael Chong, the MP uh, from the GTA area, because he was a victim. Yeah. He and his family were targeted by Chinese yeah. intelligence on that. So he can he can say, hey, this is bullshit. Yeah. You better do something about it. But even then, even after he testified and even after documents were, that were released indicated that, yes, he and his family were being characterized and victimized and targeted, <laughs> you're getting the same rhetoric from, from the conservatives on this. So yeah. I, I wish I could be more optimistic, uh, but it's it's up to people like you and others to keep that, that conversation going. Uh, to make sure that people are aware of this, because it is something that I think has to be part of the the national dialogue as we go forward. Agreed. Absolutely, I agree, Bill. And you know, it's important for yeah, you, you and I, to have this conversation. I know you have a following; you have a large following, thanks to all your years in radio uh, and in the media. And we we got to get the message out there, and people have to you know put put the uh, the needle to the politicians and say you've got to do a better job. You got to pay attention to this stuff, absolutely, because we don't want it to get that much worse. So. Um, listen, Bill, I, I, always a pleasure chatting with you. Uh, thank you so, so much for, for reaching out to me early in 2024. I, I hope, you know, wish you and your family all the very best in this year. But I got a sneaking suspicion we're going to be talking about similar issues in, in, in the weeks and months to come. So do I, as always. But it's great to have this time with us today. Phil, thanks so much for this. Thank you, Bill. Phil Gursky, President of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting, and of course, former analyst at CSIS. That's it for this edition of the Bill Kelly Podcast. This is the way we see it. Uh, take care of yourself. See you next time. Bill Kelly Podcast brought to you by Wizens Law, personal injury lawyers. Listen, you didn't choose to get injured, but you can choose the right lawyer. Wizens Law, 905-522-1102 or wizenslaw.com.